Thank you for your attention, and we hope you enjoy your flight. This week on Back Alley Banter, we dive into a favorite topic here in the back alley, fashion. It's award season, so there's no shortage of fuel for this fire. Join us as we embark on another conversation about the taboo, mainstream, and somewhere in between. I'm Kat, and Maya and I are inviting you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the fashion show. Today's episode is presented by Clark's. Clark's story began almost 200 years ago when Cyrus and James Clark made a slipper from sheepskin. At the time, it was groundbreaking, a combination of invention and craftsmanship that remained at the heart of what Clark's does. From the very beginning, Clark's has always thought differently. Brilliant ideas are what sets Clark's apart. We are teaming up with Clark's and Podgo to bring you up to 30% off select items, including on the iconic Clark's Desert Boot by going to podgo.co slash Clark's. That's podgo.co slash Clark's. I find that sponsor fitting for this episode as we have a fashion-themed episode today. It is very fitting. Well, what I can say is for the sake of this episode specifically, we are going to refer to fashion as in clothing specifically, as opposed to fashion of, let's say, textiles or homewares or... Mm -hmm. So for argument's sake, we could say that not only is this clothing is in fashion, also predominantly female. Yes. Okay. For argument's sake. Through no fault of our own. It's right. Just, that's that's where the icons began, for lack of a better term. One article I read, it dated back to 17-something with the royalty versus surf type clothing. And there was a little bit more fashion towards men in that era. But now, if you look at a shopping center as a whole, there are far more stores catered to women than there are to men. All right. Should I start with a little bit of background? Mm-hmm. Okay. So this article I started with comes from fibertofashion.com. And it says, when did fashion start in history? The origin of fashion designing dates as far back as 1826. Charles Frederick Worth is believed to be the first fashion designer of the world from 1826 to 1895. Charles, who was earlier a draper, set up a fashion house in Paris. Arguably, Fashion could be considered to have started when humans began wearing clothes. These clothes were typically made from plants, animal skin, and bones. However, in the Middle Ages, the clothes you wore told others a lot about your rank and status in society. Likewise, certain types of clothes define people by occupation and social status, much as it can do and does today. We can think Birkin bags for women, Le Bouton shoes, Gucci Versace suits for men, as well as we can also consider police uniforms, nurses scrubs, and of course, flight attendant uniforms. Mm-hmm. All right. So over time, clothing has become its own form of artistic expression. People began to design and or wear clothing that would set them apart from others. Fashion trends began moving at a dizzying speed in the 1960s as young people embraced cheaply made clothing to follow new trends and reject the sartorical traditions of older generations. Soon fashion brands had to find ways to keep up this increasing demand of affordable clothing, leading to massive textile mills opening across the developing world which allowed the U.S. and European companies to save millions of dollars by outsourcing their labor. Wondering if that's the beginning of sweatshops, child labor, perhaps? Mm-hmm. For fast fashion, technically H&M is the longest running of the fast fashion retailers, having opened in Sweden in 1947 and expanding to London in 1976, eventually reaching North America by 2000. 
Zara founder Amancio Ortego opened his first store in northern Spain in 1975, supposedly using the same principle that it follows today, make speed the driving force. When Zara came to New York at the beginning of 1990, the New York Times used the term fast fashion to describe the store's mission, declaring that it would only take 15 days for a garment to go from designer's brain to being sold on the racks. Considering the long path from spinning one's own yarn to globalized production, it seems amazing that we now live in an age where you can buy a garment on your phone just moments after it first walked down the runway. Of course, we must also acknowledge that there are major problems with our current fashion system, such as unjust labor practices and catastrophic amounts of waste. In an industry that's been focused on moving faster, it's time to consider slowing down, at least enough to be more mindful of the purchases that we make. Thankfully, that doesn't mean that we have to go back to making our own clothes from scratch anytime soon. And that is also contributed from fashionista.com. I did see something long before we even settled on this topic that said how much from an environmental standpoint, how much fast fashion actually contributes to um, pollution and excess waste and that sort of thing. And it really made an argument for more of that consignment style shopping, which you are seeing more and more of, but it's harder to do when people are buying fast fashion. And fast fashion is that H&M and where you wear the article two, maybe three times and it's falling apart. <laughs> yes. Or, I mean, yes, it's convenient if you just need it for one evening, but what are you doing with it then? Is it just going in the trash or is it being used to play dress up for your kids or nine times out of 10, it's going into the trash can. And this is interesting as the way that society and our belief system mm -hmm. with fashion has existed. Back in the 80s, my go-to shop was Le Chateau, which I jokingly always called Le Crapo mm -hmm. because it was when, fast fashion. It was fast fashion. And I used to refer to it as disposable fashion. In saying disposable fashion, that's horrible because it's like, yeah, you're going to wear it and then get rid of it as opposed to these classic and quality items and garments that you would pay extra money for. Of course, in maturity and age and social awareness, I have become more aware and cognizant, of course, of quality items that are going to mm -hmm. last a lot longer and look a lot better, to be honest. And this is another thing about fashion is... I'm a curvy girl. I don't fit in a traditional size 14. And this is something that frustrates me about the fashion industry. It's vanity sizing. So a 14 from Banana compared to a 14 from even The Gap, which is the same umbrella parent company, is different than a 14 at Old Navy. Mm -hmm. All the same company. Right. It makes no sense. That's what I hate about shopping. It's the exact same with kiddo. Mm-hmm that she could be a certain size in one store and then another size in another store. And then I have to take into account if I'm buying from, let's say, a store that her stuff is going to shrink regardless if I wash it in cold and hang it to dry or not. Mm -hmm. Especially with kiddos, because kiddos with fast fashion, she is growing so fast. There are clothes that still have tags on them. Thank goodness I have a family that has a plethora of children that uh, I can give to her cousins and I don't feel like it's just going to waste or we end up donating it, of course, to women in need. What do you think about us talking about generally 
I don't want to say spitballing, but throwing at the wall all different types of fashions and trends. Mm -hmm. Do you remember acid wash jeans? Yes, probably did. I don't recall. Do you remember um, the Ikea lock jeans? Yes, I do. Was that the 80s or the 90s? I was Well, I was in school, so that would have been early 90s. Okay. Never owned a pair. No, I didn't either. They were way out of my... So my church that I went to growing up, every fall and every winter, or excuse me, every fall and every spring would have a clothing bank. So all of the clothing donations would come into the church for about three weeks before we had the event. And... um. It was everything from coats and you name it, it was there. That's where a lot of my clothing came from when I was in middle school. Were they quality items that you felt comfortable wearing at that age? I didn't care what I wore at that age. My insecurities didn't begin until after I left. um, Because you don't know what you don't know, right? So when you're in a very controlled environment... You have nothing to be insecure about. It wasn't until I went into a bigger environment. It wasn't until I was in university that all of that stuff came to fruition. Because when, really, yeah, when you're encased in the trauma, you don't know that you're encased in the trauma. If that makes sense. Okay. You're existing, and it doesn't. And it's not until you are free from that prison of belief that you start to go, "Oh, this wasn't normal." And that sort of thing. So that's where a lot of that began. So it wasn't until my first year of university that I really started feeling super insecure. And super insecure in regard to, are we like, are you talking in regard to fashion? um, My first year of university was the worst. That's when I started questioning how smart I was, how like, was I enough? And, um, but that's kind of when stuff started getting more intense with my sister and my brothers and that sort of thing. So there was a lot going on and um, I was still bearing the brunt of a lot of it. And my own wounds were starting to heal because I was out of that environment. So no, at the time I didn't, I don't know if it was quality or not, probably not, but I didn't care. I just Mm -hmm. wore whatever was comfortable. And I mean, it was the nineties. We didn't really have fashion icons there we weren't bombarded with social media we weren't bombarded with magazines where you had to look a specific way or things like that and nobody really because I was in a smaller community there was everything from Zeller's brand to top of the line excuse me top of the line Ikea and that sort of thing because we had varying incomes but nobody batted an eye if your track pants weren't Adidas like that didn't matter it didn't matter if your runners weren't Nike or Brooks or Adidas, as long as you had runners. It, it wasn't a thing, really. Mm-hmm. But we weren't being bombarded and assaulted. We were also in a small community, but we we really weren't being accosted day in and day out with, you must look this way, you must look this way, you must look this way, like kids today are. Okay. I wonder if that's the community aspect of it then, because... And not even the community. It, I had a very different experience. Yeah, in the 90s... Um, there's so many things going through my head right now. Like I remember in the nineties grunge being the thing, yep. right? Like the mm-hmm. icons you were looking at was like Nirvana and, mm-hmm. and that, that influence. I'm just talking like kids today with TV and um, magazines and social media being as prominent as it is. Mm-hmm. We just didn't have that the same way in 
the 90s. Okay. I can see that. I do remember being in a small town and being exposed to just basic television or basic magazines. And this was elementary school years. And in my mind, everyone that was beautiful on TV, a female that was beautiful on TV was blonde hair, blue eyes, thin lips, small nose, and Mm -hmm. tiny. So I was completely opposite from everything from that. I have big lips, dark hair, brown eyes, and I was tall even at that time. So to me, that was already that influence when I was in elementary school. Okay, that makes sense then because we were really, really limited to our exposure to television and that sort of thing. So maybe it is unique to me. And maybe that's why I just didn't give two shits. I just, I don't have that. It's environment for sure. Because we really weren't allowed to watch television. We had country cable. Mm-hmm. We had CBC and CTV. Your icons are Sandy Ronaldo and like Wendy Mesley. <laughs> right. That's my point of reference. Mm-hmm. And what do you see of them? Chest up? Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, there's, I mean, yes, I was familiar with the fact that Nirvana was a thing and that that was, grunge was a thing, but it wasn't as prominent as it would have been even the next town over. Okay. Because there was so much rural where we were. Okay, so it wasn't good. uncommon for kids to come to school literally with shit on their boots. Like they literally came to school with shit kickers because they'd been out mucking out the burns before they came to school. And that mm-hmm. wasn't uncommon. Okay. So I think that what we're saying then it has to do with exposure. I think so. Yeah. Okay. We'll go with that. All right. Did you ever have, you may have been too young for this, but this is something while researching for this episode in this topic that came to my mind that I haven't thought about for years. And when I was in high school, oversized sweatshirts were a big deal with different colors, like bright colors, but buckshot sweatshirts. Mm -mm. Did you ever hear about those? Mm -mm. And buckshot literally looked like a shirt had been shot with BB guns. And this was fashion. It was like very... I also remember the hyper color about the same time as the chip and pepper and Barney France, Sun Ice... And the um, the winter jackets that went over your head with the zip, it had the half zip. Those were really popular when I was in school. Then they had a pocket, like just under the bust. Okay. Was it and a they, windbreaker? It kind of felt like a windbreaker on the outside, but it was lined like a winter jacket. It wouldn't have been warm enough for where you grew up. But um, they usually had like a sports team logo on them. My grandparents at the time lived in Michigan. So I had this thing that I had to have a Michigan Wolverines one and I would look for it all the time. But the one I remember seeing the most was Georgetown Hoyas. There was the Michigan Wolverines. So they were in those logos. That's right. But I'm talking early middle school. So sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, I think. It's when those were really, really popular. This is a trip down memory lane. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so there was the grunge era. There was mm-hmm. preppy as well before grunge. Think Carlton Banks. Yes. Yeah, so the pop collars, the polo shirts, the pop collars, the pleated jeans in the front. Mm-hmm. In my mind, throughout the ages of when I've been influenced by fashion, I've always understood what a word meant for fashion until recently. So what I'm meaning is, as mentioned, I knew what preppy was. Mm-hmm right? I knew what grunge was. Mm -hmm. Very easily definable. Rocker, headbanger Mm -hmm. style. Hairband. Yeah. Hairband style. Skater. Skater style. Mm -hmm. However, 
most recently, and I don't know if it's my age or I just can't get a damn answer, hipster. What the hell is hipster style? So hipster is, don't get mad at me. Yeah. You could pass as hipster right now from what I can see. So what, my slouchy toque? Your beanie, your oversized glasses, skinny jeans. Um, it's ironic. I, I I say it's, I want to be unique like everybody else. Okay. So, so hipster is, for I, the picture I'm getting in my head is Carhartt beanie. Uh, ginger guy, skinny, probably vegan, moleskin notebook, probably layered flannel with a jean jacket type combo, super skinny jeans and blundstones. Okay. Then is hipster also a man bun and a beard? It can be. And then what's hipster for a girl um, or a female? Skinny jeans, blundstones, uh, burks, slouchy beanies. Hipster is kind of preppy meets um, hippie. Okay. That's the best way I can describe it. It's like... I just couldn't ever put my finger on it. And whenever I would ask someone, they would just give me this roundabout explanation that I could never understand. Because there isn't really a definition for it. Okay. Yeah. But you just know what it is when you see it. Hipster is also kind of like bucking with tradition. It's bucking convention. It's um, irony, but I don't know that all of them fully understand what the irony is. <laughs> so they, and some people just want to dress that way and, and look cool, right? Right. That's a good example I think so. for me. I think so. Okay. That's my understanding of it. Okay. Do you remember metrosexual? Oh my gosh, metrosexual. Yes. That was easily definable as well. So was lumber sexual. What's lumber sexual? Lumber sexual was when men started wearing beards more and more. Okay. So probably about seven to 10 years ago, it was just becoming trendy for men to, because for a long time, that was just in gay culture, I think, identified as bears. But from a heterosexual perspective, they started being like, it was after metrosexual, but before hipster kind of thing, kind of transitioned into hipster, but yeah, lumber sexual. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. I had no idea those even existed. Mm-hmm. All right. What about boho? Boho, do you feel like it's a classic style? Mm-hmm. Okay. And of recent years, do you feel like it's now understood as a classic style? I don't know because I'm not of that generation now. Mm-hmm. But for me, boho has always been a thing. It's okay. always been a thing. But one of the top boho fashion icons is Janis Joplin. And I don't even know, like, because you don't have to have one specific style of dress, but the one that's coming to mind that I've seen more of that boho type style was um, Jessica Simpson with some of her clothing line with the long Chloe maxi dresses and that sort of thing. And what's the difference between boho and hippie then? One's a little bit more classy, I think, not as dirty looking for lack of a better term. Like boho is more soft, like softer, do you think? I think so. More ethereal? Mm -hmm. Like when I think hippie, I think burning bras and Woodstock and that sort of thing. Whereas boho kind of is Jan Brady. Okay. (laughs) So still kind of that um, hippie, but a more classic conservative because hippie was a lot of fringe and leather, which there is some of in boho, but it's more covered up, I guess. 
I want to move on to present day and mm-hmm. us discuss this because it used to be frowned upon pre-COVID and the influence of COVID in fashion. So pre-COVID, there was something called athleisure wear. Did mm-hmm. I say that right? Mm-hmm. I would not be caught personally seen wearing my Lululemons, and it was a personal choice, as everyday wear, street wear. Back in the day, it was if I was on my way to the gym or if I was on my way home, that is when I'd be wearing my Lululemons. However, now since COVID, athleisure, athleisure wear has now become something referred to as luxe leisure, mm-hmm. and it is hitting the runways like nobody's business. And I got to tell you, I like it. Give me your thoughts on this. I think fashion, like anything, is evolutionary. So would this have happened had COVID not happened? Probably not. Maybe it would have. I I really don't know. I think it's evolutionary for the times. And there's no end in sight for this. It's We're not going back to offices anytime soon. But I think it's evolutionary. I really do. I think it's once all of this is over, will some of it stay probably, but some of that athleisure I love, it's just never going to work for me. But because it's got that athleisure moniker, that might be the deterrent for you because that's the connection in your head. It Whereas is a connection. I grew up in the generation of leggings and stirrup pants anyway. So mm-hmm. that wasn't out of the ordinary for me. I was used to wearing stirrup pants and leggings. So I find it interesting how cyclical fashionist because we saw a resurgence of the grunge phase not that long ago. Well, that's what's interesting to me is as you were, we were talking about the athleisure wear and you were saying, well, I believe fashion's evolutionary. I was like, but it's a dichotomy because fashion is also cyclical and mm-hmm. it's always been cyclical, right? Yeah, absolutely. But it's evolutionary and it's cycle too. When I was in high school, bell bottoms were coming back. But they weren't the bell bottoms that my mom wore. And those are the like super wide ones where everybody had like the wet spots for about seven inches up. Case in point too is when you and I were shopping recently and the culottes, uh, the culotte jeans that I bought. Yep. Mm-hmm. That they're definitely not the ones that get wet when you walk. They're like not they're even a bell bottom. Yeah, yeah, but they're a bell bottom. Do they have a waistband or are they buttons the whole way up? Uh, they have a waistband. They're highway. One- Okay. I thought they were um, like a high-waisted button all the way up. No, just one button, but they are high-waisted. Which is coming in again too. Mom jeans came back. like, And maybe I'm wrong on my definition of hipster because now I was just thinking about when I was at um, Valley Village with a girlfriend of mine, there were a lot of what I would define as hipsters, but maybe they're not. Maybe they're something else. See, this is why I get so confused and I don't have a definitive idea in my head. I need to paint a picture. Like I need answers here on hipster. What exactly is hipster fashion? My husband, the way he explained it was ironic fashion. I think that's kind of it, but. And it still doesn't make any sense to me because what is ironic fashion? What is that? Is that wearing work boots and a blazer? Is that wearing a man bun and a clean shaven face? Is that having a bald head and a beard? I don't understand. I think it's unique to the individual. That's why I don't understand what hipster is. Okay, so this is probably the best explanation. Everything about a hipster is exactingly constructed to give up the vibe that they just don't care. The term dates back to the 1940s when people in New York jazz scene wanted to subvert the status quo by embracing bohemian culture. 
but unless you're giving a character a backstory, knowing what a hipster is is less important than knowing what a hipster looks like. But yes, you name it, it's bold patterns. So it's bold clashing patterns. So plaid and polka dots with <laughs> like a plaid skirt and a polka dot blouse with um, Doc Martens could be hipster. So I, th- I think it's just, I don't give a fuck. Okay. And bucking with convention and sticking it to the man, essentially. But not a slob. Like, I don't give a fuck. Some of me, it is slovingly. Like- some, some people do look slovenly. But yeah, I'm with you. But we grew up in a different generation, too. What do you think about us moving on to a little bit of a conversation regarding flight attendant fashion? Let's do it. All right. So as we move on, we also do want to tackle and talk about the subject of flight attendant fashion as this is the back alley. We've come a long way since the early days of flying from the rough ride commercial airlines in the early 1900s to the glamorous smoke fogged flights of the 1960s. Now flying has lost some of its sparkle. Whether traveling for work or vacation, we no longer see it as quite the special treat it was for us before. But in the past, flying was a full experience, and it was treated as such. Travelers wore their Sunday best on flights, with cabin bars full of tailored suits and cigarette smoke. Stewardesses were globe-trotting modern women who always looked professional, capable, and enthused. The uniforms of stewardesses, now mainly referred to as the less glamorous flight attendants, evolved with the times. Sometimes for better and sometimes for worse. We're looking at you, 1980s shoulder pads. The first in-flight air hostesses during the 1930s and the 1940s wore military-inspired skirt suits in bland hues with white gloves and matching hats. Femininity and glamour took the reins in the 1950s and 60s with bouffants, pillbox hats, and funky mod looks making waves. By the 1970s, they welcomed bright colors, psychedelic patterns, and a time when short skirts and go-go boots were not uncommon to see walking the aisle with refreshment. The 1980s and 1990s were not kind in terms of flattering silhouettes with oversized ties and shoulder pads being the go-to accoutrements. But flight attendant uniforms started hitting the fashion scene in a new way in the 2000s as couture designers collaborated on fashion-forward uniform collections for major airlines. From Christian Lacroix to Emilio Pucci to Zach Posen, these designers now create flight attendant uniforms you'd be tempted to wear. That is a little excerpt from southernliving.com. So let's discuss flight attendant fashion, Maya. While you were reading that, I had, um, especially of the 60s and 70s, I had the um, costume designer from the view from the top in my head. Whoever that was did an amazing job with the costumes for that film. Genius. That is one of my favorite films. I love it. We even had an airline here in Canada that tried to revamp that in the early 2000s. It was really hard to, as a flight attendant, take them seriously walking through the airport in their go-go boots and their leather jacket because okay. there was just a an air about it. And there is something still about that military-esque. I'm not talking like it needs to be super rigid. That's one of the things that I really take issue with with our uniform guidelines in some regards, the very militant hairstyles that they want us to have. Because I think there still needs to be some individuality to it. I understand the importance of a uniform, but I think it needs to have some functionality to it too, because a lot of our uniforms are designed for the look rather than the functionality of it. And we were talking off camera about this. I believe it's in LA. In LA, they have a 
sort of a museum that pays homage to flight attendant uniforms from days gone by. And it's not just a specific airline. So there's the Asian uniforms are beautiful. They are. They're always gorgeous over the ages. It's those Mandarin collared shift dresses and they appear to be made out of silk. I'm not sure if they actually are or not, but there's that. And then there's Hawaiian Airlines has had some pretty cool ones over the years as well. But it's fun to actually flight attendant uniforms over the years. The 80s and 90s were really bad. They were not kind to flight attendants. Mm -mm. But I do have to say the last time that my family and I flew with Delta, their safety demonstration is actually on video Mm -hmm. because they all have the really big seat back screens. And the safety demonstration actually features their uniforms throughout history. Oh, I love it. So it is just another way to have the passengers engage and pay attention to the safety demonstration. And I watch it every single time because I just love watching through the ages. And then they'll give you during the safety demonstration, they'll give you a little blurb in script or type or a ticker on the bottom of what era it was from. And it's the actual flight attendants in the video that work for the company. I love it. Yes. Wearing all these different uniforms. The uniforms aren't just for keeping us identifiable as crew members in the event of a catastrophic event. It doesn't matter that it's now 2021. There is still that element of, there's still that element of polished glamour. Yeah. Even though we all know it's not as glamorous as it once was. It's not catch me if you can. It really isn't. It certainly isn't. But I will say that influence from the past definitely has me keeping my game at the top Mm -hmm. of uniform standards. I take it very seriously. Mm -hmm. My hair, my makeup, how pressed I am, my nails, you name it, because of that standard that was set back in the day. And it's also because you care. You take pride in who you are and how you represent your role. And that's what I was talking about with this airline here in Canada, that they looked like they were going to the club to dancing cages at the end of their shift. It was really hard to take them seriously. I know that was their company issued uniform, but some of it looks slovenly. But I've seen flight attendants from our own company that have looked quite slovenly too. Mm -hmm. And if you can show up to work looking like that, can I trust you to have my back when fit hits the shan? True. Have you seen throughout the ages when I was doing this research, I cannot remember the company and I believe it was in the 60, late 60s, early 70s, and they had space hats. I Vaguely, I think I recall something along those lines. Yes. They had space hats and space boots. I kid you not, I'm going to send you a photo of yes. it. I think I have seen something along those lines. Yeah. That is what it reminded me of when you're talking about this other Canadian company that tried stepping outside of the box, but went way too far. Huge hoop earrings and big hair and buttons undone to mid cleave. And it just, how do you take that professionally or Mm -hmm. seriously? You look like you should be working in a nightclub, not saving somebody's ass. That's right. Can I take moon boots more seriously? I don't know, depending on how it was worn. (laughs) I mean- There are airlines out there that have had denim shirts and shorts as part of their uniforms. Yes, that's true. And then on the other side of the coin as well, there is an airline in our um, country as well that has, I always admire them. 
and they still wear the the pillbox mm-hmm. hat and they still wear the modest but knee high boots but they their skirts are knee length, knee length. And, and they I, always look polished and very clean but yes they they have amazing uniforms they do they also have very strict i think they're all monitored at the beginning of their shifts as well yeah i believe that they have to get the rundown from either their cabin commander or somebody in their crew room or something but yeah i believe it's all signed off on (laughs) it's noticeable though because Mm -hmm. i always admire them every time we pass by them in an airport Mm -hmm. i always just sort of go (sighs) yes it can be done right and their hairstyles are always very polished and beautiful you need to get going because you have to pick kiddo up i want to go shopping now with somebody else funding it of course (laughs) <laughs> that would be a perfect world in a perfect situation. Wouldn't it? Especially for a furloughed flight attendant. Uh, we do thank you again for joining us week after week. You can find Backgalley Banter on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and officially now on Amazon Music or wherever you choose to get your podcasts. Catch up with us on Instagram at Backgalley Banter. We're also on Facebook and Twitter as well. You can also reach out to us on the internet at backgalleybanter.com. We do thank you for sharing your day with us. We wouldn't be in our seats if you weren't in yours. We do know that you have choices in podcasts out there, and we're sure glad you chose ours. Goodbyes are not forever. Goodbyes are not the end. It simply means... I'll miss you. Until we meet again. Be kind. Be safe. Until we meet again. Fashionista. Thank you for your attention, and we hope to welcome you on board in the near future.